Welcome to Cooper Talk, presented by Walk My Mind. Bring your body, bring your mind. This is Walk My Mind, a holistic approach to wellness that connects the dots of physical, mental, and emotional health. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you, my guest today, you know, he was in the original Cooper Talk studio in Burbank. Then he was in the second Cooper Talk studio in Burbank. Now I'm calling him in L.A. from my new home studio in New Jersey. And he's a, he's a great actor. You know, it's funny. I was looking at his IMDb, and he's he's got like 195 credits, which I'm sure some are missing. So he's one of these guys that's over 200. And besides that, he's just he's just a good guy. I think that's why he works all the time. My guest is Spencer Garrett. How you doing, Spence? Hey Coop, what's going on, my brother? Not much, man. I was just uh, I was just checking out your you know your IMDb, and and I, I was thinking, you know, I mean, you've been acting for years. When you got, what was your first paid gig? Do you remember? My first paid gig was uh, there was a there was maybe a little nepotism going on, but my very first paid gig was a movie that uh, my mom did called Limbo in 1973. It was, the, it was actually the very first movie. It was directed by Mark Robeson, who directed uh, Earthquake and, uh, and, and, and several, several movies in the 60s and 70s. It was the first movie about, really the first Vietnam War movie. It was about wives of POWs uh, coming home from the Vietnam War. It was with my mom, Kathleen Nolan, and Kate Jackson, uh, and I was a little, I was a little eight year old kid. I think I had one line and they paid me $50 and they stuck it in a, get up in an envelope with, you know, put some cash in it. And I think I, I ran off to Toys R Us and bought a bunch of toys with it. So <laughs> that was my, that was my, my very first paid credit, I think. I, and I think I got tapped heartily into the Screen Actors Guild from then, but I think that's my first sort of recorded credit. I don't think it, I don't even think on my IMDb page, well, no, but, you're... uh, you know. Your I, was, I, 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 I kind of had a little bit of a childhood after that. Yeah, so you did that. So then when you decided to go into acting, I, I'm, I'm looking at your IMDb, your first gigs, it starts like in 89. Did you ever think, you know, at that point that you would have this career that has lasted and, and you've been blessed to constantly work pretty much? Did you ever think back then that it would go this way? I mean, what were your thoughts as a young actor? What did you expect and what were you, you know, were you thinking that could happen? When I first started out in, in 89, 90, I came out here from New York and, and, you know, I'd been doing the, the catering and the waitering and the bartending and all that. And, you know, and I thought, well, if I'm going to do the struggling actor gig, you know, I'd rather be sitting on a, a warm beach with a Corona. And so I moved out to LA and, and, uh, you know, and I probably, probably went back to catering and waitering and bartending. And I got, you know, slowly got, uh, you know, a gig here, a gig there. I got a nice gig on start. Uh, a couple of things. I was kind of like, I was kind of the new kid in town when I first came out here. So I went out for a lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, and I got, you know, got, got some work, um, not as rapidly as I thought I would, but, you know, I mean, it takes time. And I was, I was very green and, uh, I was studying and, and getting gigs where I could get them. And all of a sudden I, I kind of started to pick up steam. Uh, once I, once I had some credits under my belt, you know, in the, in the early nineties, 91, 92, uh, and then I kind of got on a, on a, a lovely little role and, you know, haven't really looked back since, but, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think I had any expectations when I came out to LA. I think I just wanted to be a working actor. I think I just wanted to be a working character actor. And, um, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to meet lots of casting directors, 
when I first moved out to LA and they kind of passed me around to different, to different projects. And, uh, so I would do like a co-star thing here and under five there. Uh, and those eventually led to some, some substantial guest stars. I think the, re- you know, the first kind of really meaty guest spot thing I did was on, was on Star Trek on the next generation. Um, and that street and, you know, so it, it was, it, it, it took a little while to get up ahead of steam, but you know, as it usually does, um, and you know, thirty years in, I'm. Uh, I feel like I'm. I'm just. I'm just getting the hang of it. You know, I feel like I'm <laughs> just kind of figuring out how to do this acting thing. I wanted to ask you. You mentioned the term character actor, and I know. I think. I believe you know Anthony Tony Stark. He had posted an article. Sure. He posted an article on Facebook. Great actor. Yeah, he posted an article on Facebook from like two years ago, but it's recently posted about how the character actor and how Hollywood has changed in the pay structure and stuff like that. What is that like being an actor? Because, you know, right now, I mean, you know, our country's going through a hell of a change, and we, we know that everything's changing. I mean, no matter where you look, things are changing. And how is it for you as an actor? Have you seen the industry change? Like that article said how, you know, the producers are making more money and the actors aren't. Why do you think that happened, and what can actors do about that? I, I think I think the actors have very very little leverage. You know, the the only thing, the interesting thing that's happened in the last several years is you know the the, the paradigm has changed in terms of the amount of platforms there are now. You know, there's there's five years ago you had House of Cards and that kind of changed the game, and now you know, so now it's now it's Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and Crackle and you know, and there's TV everywhere and content everywhere and places to put it. So actors do have an advantage in the sense that there's a lot more opportunities for them, but they haven't figured out how to uh, to work the pay structure with those streaming services where where actors are getting paid uh, the same amounts where they do for you know for uh, for network TV. So that's something that's still kind of being worked out because the ground is kind of shifting under our feet every day. Um, and in this last contract negotiation between SAG and AFTRA and the, and the producers, uh, you know, they're trying to work out, uh, a, a new, a new contract, uh, that, that we hadn't seen before because, because we didn't have all these platforms, uh, in the last round of negotiations. So it's, it's going to get better, but it's going to, it's going to be very incremental, but it's, it's always going to be, uh, you know, the, uh, Kind of the the one percent. You've got the, the the number one on the call sheet guy who's getting all the money, and then all all of the supporting players kind of uh, pick up the crumbs. So it's not uh, you know if you're a character actor, you're not in it with money. Um, so I'm you know I'm lucky enough that I just keep working and working. But uh, you know we're we're certainly not getting paid. Um, I don't think uh, the way we should be getting paid. But um, you know we're getting there. We're getting we're we're, we're getting we're getting closer and. The, uh, the last round of negotiations uh, uh, did us a lot of favors in terms of getting getting our prices up and um, you know getting paid what we should be for the you know for the shows on the streaming services. Now I just said you know you're not getting paid what you you know you should be getting because it's a, it's new territory. But as an actor, on the as you said, as a character actor, you're not doing it to make the money. As an actor, it must be great because. The roles that are coming out and the TV shows are, are just upping in quality. I mean, does that fantastic. get fantastic? What's that like for you? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it really is. Uh, it's a it's a golden age of television. I mean, you know, starting with really with with The Sopranos and going into Breaking Bad and Boardwalk Empire. You know, all of the things that HBO is doing. I mean, it's just it's just a gold mine for actors. It's just really great. I don't mean that monetarily. I mean in terms of richness of roles and diversity of roles 
there's just a lot of lot of great roles being written out there, and uh, and the the great work that's really being done uh, is really happening on television. And by television, I mean you know, I mean I also mean House of Cards and you know the Netflixes and 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 those 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 services that give us the opportunities to uh, you know to do really great work in television because it's really it's not happening in movies. It's really happening in TV now. Well, last time I interviewed you, you were were shooting Aquarius, and unfortunately, the show went off the air. But as an actor, you know that must have been for you such a great role to play because you went from you know being this highfalutin you know jerky lawyer to being in a you know almost in a coma. And then end up getting yeah. you know getting <laughs> things shoved up your thumb stuff stuff yeah. being done to you. What is that like an actor like when you sign on? Did you know that it would this the role would evolve like that? And if you didn't, were I you didn't. excited? I, I mean, didn't. that must have excited you so much. It was. It really did, Steve. And it was like you know, it was it was really the best role I've I've ever had, and just a great ensemble of actors. I mean, from Duchovny on down, it was just great writing. Uh, John McNamara is just a brilliant, brilliant showrunner and a brilliant writer. And but I really had no idea where that guy was going. I had no idea where the character of Al Banyan was going when I first read the pilot script. I thought, oh, this is a you know, this is an interesting guy. It's, it's an, another in a you know, in my pantheon of you know, kind of slick asshole yuppie lawyers that I've played. Um, and then all of a sudden, he just took a dark left turn. Um, but I didn't, I didn't have any. I didn't have any foreshadowing. I didn't know, you know, I'd get the script and I'd go, wow, look at that, you know. Um, but I, I, there was no, uh, there was no roadmap for me. I mean, I just kind of had to uh, make them up as I went along. And, uh, and that was kind of the beauty of it. I mean, it was just really, every time I got a new script, it was, it was thrilling because I thought, oh man, this is probably going to be the best role on television that I'll ever get a chance to play. It's, it's a shame that the show didn't catch on better, but I think it might have been a little too dark for people, um, you know, I mean, the Charles Manson story, as we went into our second season, we were heading in towards what became the Manson that people know him as. And, it, you know, there's only so, so many places that we could take the story um, and, you know, and so many places you could take Manson until he ends up getting caught. Um, so if they got three or four seasons out of it, that would have been terrific. But uh, as far as as far as me and playing the character of Hal, it was uh Every time I, I, I got a new script sent to me, it was just delicious because I thought, oh, man, this is just this is just too good. So uh, that <laughs> it, was a guess. It went dark. <laughs> now, now, what is it, it like? It, it, what is it like when you sit there and you're in a bed for a scene and, you know, people probably think, oh, well, that's not right. acting." how do you how does an actor take on a role like that? Because you really have to be realistic because we've all been bedridden. And I, I believe you're in a coma pretty much. Um how does an actor prepare? I wasn't for in a that? coma. I, yeah, I wasn't. In, I wasn't in a coma. I, I, I uh, there were several scenes where I was. Uh, I was in a neck brace. Okay. I was because uh, I, I gotten, I gotten thrown down a hill and I'd broken my neck. Um, but uh, yeah, I was. I was in a. I was in a neck brace and a back brace, and then I uh, through the magic of television, I, I ended up recovering pretty quickly. As you saw, I went from the hospital in two episodes, and then the next time you saw me, I, I was. Surrounded by beautiful Manson hippie girls living in my house with me, uh, smoking pot and taking acid with them. So, uh, so I had a pretty miraculous recovery. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, so how do you get away from? Well, first of all, I want to say your roles. I know I'm going to talk about the movie coming up, uh, but you, you're playing. Uh, you played some period roles lately. I know you were in a. Uh, the movie was about LBJ. You played a, a, a period piece, a, a, a celebrity, somewhat. I'm not a celebrity. You know, uh, he was. Well, who did you play? I played Walter. I played uh, Walter Ruther, who was the head of the United Auto Workers Union. You're talking about all the way. With yeah, Brian yeah, all Branson? the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, how do you get prepared? Yeah, for no, one? I love. I love the period stuff. I mean, that's that's really that's my that's my that's my favorite stuff to play. Um, I love I love the period roles. So so any chance I get to you know go back into the past and wear the great you know the the great the great old costumes. I mean, that's really uh, that's where I love to play around. Now, how do you prepare for a role that it's someone who's realistic, that's a real person, and you have to, you know, you have to be accountable because it's not like you know you're playing a character of someone, you're playing someone, and you want to give it your own flair and your own style, but you also have to be, you know, true to the actual person. Well, in the case of, uh, I'll give you two examples. One was Casino Jack. I did a movie a few years back with uh, Kevin Spacey uh, about uh, Jack Abramoff, the lobbyist. Uh, the DC lobbyist who who got busted for uh, you know, for a number of things. I played Tom Delay. I played the Congressman Tom Delay, who was a real life guy uh, from Texas. And the movie had a very satirical spin on it. So I was able to. I mean, I wanted to play him. I mean, it wasn't wasn't too much license I could I could take with playing playing him. Um, but uh, I wanted to put my own my own spin on it a little bit. At the same time, kind of being true to who the guy was. So, you know, there's always kind of a fine line. I mean, right now I'm playing, I'm doing a movie with uh, Hugh Jackman about uh, Gary Hart. Uh, and the whole Gary Hart, you know, when he ran for president with, uh, you know, got caught with monkey business and all that. And I'm playing Bob Woodward. Uh, I'm playing the journalist Bob Woodward, um, who has a, a very, very thick, flat, you know, Midwestern accent with the flat A's and the flat R's. And Jason Reitman is directing. And, you know, he... He asked me to kind of sit on that accent a little bit and kind of tamp it down because it's a little, a little too much, you know. So I like I, I want to, uh, you know. He said I don't I don't want people doing impersonations of the people that they're playing. I mean, Alfred Molina is playing Ben Bradley, and if you know what Alfred Molina looks like, right. you know he looks nothing like Ben Bradley. Um, so we're there basically trying to embody the spirit of the guys without doing a without doing an impression. Um, and, you know, and, and, and putting our own little flavor to it. So, um, I mean, I look nothing like Bob Woodward, but, uh, you know, I'm trying to capture his essence as best I can, and that's the best I can do. But what about, what about Casino Jack? How did, you, how did you lay into that, and how did you also lay into getting, getting down Ruger? Getting, to, getting do, to do what? Uh, what's his name? I keep forgetting his name. Tom, oh, Tom DeLay. Yeah. I mean, Tom, I mean, Tom DeLay, there was, a, there was just a wealth of, you know, information on him, you know, video on him from the internet. Listen to his, uh, I really wanted to get his accent down because, you know, everybody, when they, they think about a, a Texas accent, there's sort of a generic Southern accent that a lot of people do, but he was from a very specific part of Texas and there are different kinds of Texas accents. So I didn't just want to do just a flight, you know, just a typical Southern accent. I mean, I wanted to, I wanted to sound like Tom DeLay. So, uh, he had an audio book uh, that he put out. Uh, he read his autobiography on, on an audio book. So I just kind of listened to that over and over so I could get a sense of how he sounded because I, I wanted to be able to copy his vocal cadences and his vocal patterns as closely as I could. 
Um, you know, because if somebody talks slowly and deliberately, like like Bob Woodward has a very slow, deliberate way of talking, and it's very methodical, and it's not it's not it's not fast and rapid fire. So you know, you want to kind of you want to get that essence of 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 their vocal quality. So with Tom Delay, I wanted to you know I wanted to capture how he sounded as best I could. Now, when you capture that sound and you're getting that accent, because you said you know you're you're not from Texas. Do you keep it on set the whole time, or do you go in and out of it? How does an actor approach getting an accent? Because once you get into the flow, you probably don't want to leave it because you're afraid you might lose it. I mean, how do you how do you handle that when you have to do an accent? Are you all are you full blown accent a whole time on set, or how do you do it? I am. You know, it's funny. I I uh, when I did Public Enemies several years ago with the Michael Mann film and Christian Slater. I, I walked into the makeup trailer, and Christian Slater, uh, not Christian Slater, Christian Bale, I'm sorry, Christian Bale, wonderful, wonderful actor, and Christian Bale turned to me and said, hi, how are you? And he was, he had made a conscious choice. He was going to live in that character's skin for the whole four months that we did that movie, to, in order to, now he's a, he's a, he's a Welsh guy, uh, he's not an American, so he made a decision to you know, live in that character's skin and and live in his accent for the for the entirety of the film of the whole shooting process, um, and that's you know that's his choice and it worked for him. He got the accent down beautifully. Um, you know, I'm I do my homework. I I uh, from the minute I wake up in the morning and I get my coffee before I go to set, I start thinking about the sound and I keep it in my head. I don't necessarily. You know, I'm not walking around all day talking like this, but I, I kind of keep it living in my head as much as I can. But I'm not an actor that, you know, that, that lives with the character and brings him home uh, for the, you know, for the two or three months of the shoot. I, I can I can turn it off and on, you know, pretty well, I think. Um, you know, ask, ask me on another film. But in, in the cases where I've had to do specific accents, Especially where, in the case of Casino Jack, I was doing two movies at the same time. I was doing Casino Jack in Toronto and a movie called Below the Beltway, shooting in Washington, D.C. I was flying back and forth between Washington and, and Toronto, uh, playing Tom DeLay in one, a congressman, playing a senator from Illinois in another one. So I had two different accents in my head. So, you know, I didn't want to... Uh, it's it's kind of it's hard to be, uh, you know, living living entirely... With uh, with the voice of one guy in your head when you're playing two guys, it gets a little schizophrenic. So uh, I just kind of put put one one character in a box and and uh, you know and and leave him in my trailer for the next day. Now, in all the way, you played a, a Walter Ruther who was from years ago. What is it like doing that kind of role where it's someone who's I don't believe is any alive anymore, and it's not that there was there wasn't a there's not the video as much as there is now. And you, how did you do research? People didn't have the fr- the frame of reference for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was there was a lot of video. Uh, I found some on him, um, but I wasn't as worried. And, and Jay Roach, the director, wasn't as worried that I, you know, that I that I look or sound. They dyed my hair red because he had red hair, but he wasn't as worried about me uh, sounding. Uh, or look, because nobody had a friend, you know, people wouldn't go, oh, that's not what Walter Ruther sounded like, unless, you know, you were actually a person from that time. Um, but uh, I had the good fortune of uh, being followed on Twitter by a guy named Sasha Ruther, who turned out to be his nephew. 
uh, Walter Ruther's nephew. And he and I ended up having a wonderful conversation. And he ended up sending me video and photographs. I mean, I had I had one one good long scene with Anthony Mackie. So it was not you know it was not like I was all throughout the film. But you know, I wanted to be able to honor the guy. He was a terrific American. It was a, you know it was an extraordinary labor leader. And I wanted to be able to do justice to him. So, um, you know, I was able to, I think, capture his essence as, as best as best I could. But, you know, when you're playing somebody that people don't really know what they look or sound like, uh, you know, you can, there's a little bit of wiggle room. I mean, when, when Robert Redford played Bob Woodward in All the President's Men in 73, people didn't, you know, Robert Redford, Bob Woodward wasn't on TV all the time the way he is now, and people didn't really know. They weren't aware of him. He wasn't a media figure. He wasn't part of pop culture until, you know, until years later, until the movie came out and the books came out. So, so, so Robert Redford didn't do, uh, he didn't do any kind of accent. He, you know, um, Bob Woodward has black hair, dark hair, and Bob, you know, Bob Redford was just Bob Redford. So, uh, you know, it depends on, depends on how far you want to go. I like, I like to, I like to do my homework as much as possible and, and be able to honor the, honor the person and the spirit of the person as, as much as I can. Now, who are some guys you would like to play? I mean, if someone said, hey, Spence, we got a, you know, we got a few roles you can pick, you can do a project. Who are some people of real life people that you would sit there and just love to sink your teeth into? Oh, boy, that's a long, that's a long list. I mean, I, I think I think every actor right now would love to play, would love to play Trump because right. he's just, he's, He's such a he's such a fascinating figure. Uh, whether you whether you whether you whether you're for him or against him, whether you love him or hate him, he's he's an absolutely fascinating person, fascinating character. Um, you know, uh, Alec Baldwin does what he does with him. Uh, there was a play, wonderful play in L.A. Uh, I think it was after you moved back east, uh, but it was a uh, uh, by by the great playwright John Robin, John Robin Bates. Uh, and it was a play about a Trump-like figure who is called was called Vicuna, which is about this, uh, uh, the you know the fabric, the cloth uh, that this Trump-like figure wants to have his suit made from. It's a very expensive fabric, and this uh, wonderful actor Harry Groner played a, you know a version of Trump, um, and but he did it by putting his own spin on it, you know. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, he's just a, he's just, he's so rich for mining Trump. I'd, I'd love to be able to put my own spin on, on a Donald Trump. Um, man, oh, there's, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of, uh, you know, I love, I love lots of politicians that I love playing. Um, I, uh, years and years ago, I got, I, I read for the role of Mickey Mantle in, uh, uh, in the 61 movie that Billy Crystal directed. I was, completely wrong for it, but I had a shot at it. And uh, there's a couple of sports figures that I love that I'm probably probably too over the hill now at this point to to, to go after. But, uh, you know, uh, and then, of course, you know, there's good old Hamlet. So uh, the Hamlet Hamlet's still in my wheelhouse. I'd love to take a crack at him. Any musicians? Even though he's not a real guy. Any musicians? Any musicians that I'd love to play? Yeah, I mean, just um, not saying you look like them, but just someone you would love to be able to crack down and play. Wow. Uh, can't I can't think of any. I can't I can't think of any. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm such a I'm a huge music head. So I you know there's uh, I do I do I do know that uh, I mean Bruce Springsteen is my favorite of all time. 
time. And, uh, um, you know, that would be, that would be fun to play because I think he's a fascinating character as well. But that would be quite a stretch for me because I look nothing like Bruce right. I always thought if they play an older, like Bruce now, but this guy would have to lose a little weight, Peter Honorati would be a good Bruce. But I he, love Peter. Oh, he'd be, he'd be great. He'd, he'd have to lose a little weight, though. Fabulous. Yes, because he's, yeah. he's bulky. But, okay, so now your birthday he, was... He pretty, uh, I was going to say, your birthday was a few days ago. Now, yes. Now, now, what does a guy like you do on your birthday? You know, you have a lot of Hollywood friends. I was working. I spent, I spent my birthday uh, on set in Atlanta. Uh, on was 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 a, a terrific day. I uh, had planned to uh, have a nice, quiet, anonymous day on set, just kind of quietly going about my work. Spent the whole day with with Hugh Jackman doing this scene between uh, Gary Hart and Bob Woodward, and uh, and it was the very first day of filming on the show. The movie's called The Front Runner. And, uh, and nobody knew it was my birthday on set because I didn't announce it. I showed up in Atlanta the day before and, uh, and went to the, went to set at six o'clock in the morning. And about midway through the day, I was kind of like, ah, what a drag. Nobody knows it's my birthday, but that's okay. I'll be wrapped soon and I can go, you know, meet up with some friends later and have a drink. And it's at some point in the middle of the day, um, there was a knock on my trailer door and two crew members were there with a, with a, uh, a cake. And uh, two two guys from craft service and one guy whipped out a Bic lighter and and lit the candle and and started singing Happy Birthday to me. These two these two uh, two guys from Crafty and I said, How did you know it was my birthday? And apparently my girlfriend had called the production office and found out where we were and had somebody go out and buy some cake and they brought him to the set and it was kind of the best birthday I ever had. That's awesome. Now now you, you it was great it was great and then and then I got to then I got to we were shooting in a Trader Vic's. Uh, an old Trader Vic's restaurant in the Hilton in downtown Atlanta, and uh, when we when we got back to the set, uh, it was like she had ordered six birthday cakes, and the whole cast and crew sang "Happy Birthday" to me. So it was a special day. It was very cool. Now, what is it like when you shoot in, a, in another, like in Atlanta? Where do you like to shoot? I mean, in LA, everyone says they, it's good because you are home. You're near your place. When you get done a long day, you can go back. Of course, you have to hit LA traffic. But where do you? I mean. Do you like shooting in Atlanta? I love Atlanta. I've been I've been working in Atlanta now. I mean, Atlanta is like it's kind of the place to be. It's like Hollywood South. I've been working in Atlanta now for the last five years. Um, I did I did Satisfaction there. I did two seasons of Satisfaction. I've been recurring on Survivor's Remorse, uh, uh, Michael Malley's show that's on Stars. It's a great great show, and so I've been going back and forth and back and forth between LA and Atlanta for the last five years. Um, did a couple of movies there and uh, a couple of other things. So I, I love it. It's kind of, it's kind of become second home to me between Atlanta and Vancouver. Um, if I, you know, I should, I should, uh, if I, if I had the scratch, I'd, uh, I'd get my own jet. I just, uh, I'd fly myself. But, uh, I love working in Vancouver. I love working out of town. I love being, I love being on location. And Atlanta's a great, great food town. It's a great food city. So I'm, uh, uh, I, I've, I've, I've hit all of my favorite restaurants. I've got all my favorite joints in Atlanta. So, uh, so as soon as I drop my bags, I know exactly where to go when I get to the city. So Atlanta's what, become a, a great second home. What kind of food do you look for? Cause like me moving back East, you know, I, I miss the Mexican from LA, but then in LA, yeah. I miss, I miss the great Italian that you have back East. What, what, what's your go-to? Like, what do you sit there and go, man, I need this. 
Um, there's a place, I'm not, I've got no affiliation with them. I'm not plugging them, but there's a restaurant in Atlanta called The Optimist, and it's a seafood place. Uh, and I love, I love my seafood. I love my, my crab and my oysters. And, you know, um, I've been, uh, I went to high school in Maine. I spent a lot of time in New England, so I'm very partial to, you know, good, fresh, uh, East Coast seafood. So, uh, so I love, I love the food at The Optimist. I love just really good, fresh farm to table stuff. Um, you know, and I love, I love veggies and salads and all that. Pretty, pretty simple. Not too, not, not, I don't get too shishi through through with my food, but I do love good, I do love good seafood, good fishes and, and, uh, and shellfish for sure. Now, now you, you know, most of the roles you do, you're, you're a serious actor and you know, sometimes you play a lawyer, sometimes you play a politician and you know, you can play jerky sometimes. What was it like when you did Dice? I was flipping around and I saw you on Dice. And this is one of the reasons I hit you up because I think that's one of the funniest shows on TV. I think it's underrated. It's hilarious. I watch it yeah. and I'm bummed that it's only like seven episodes this year and six episodes last year. But what's it like when you are, – are you stoked when you sit there and get a comedy? And do they – how did you get an audition for that or do they make an offer? Like how did you get involved in a comedy? I, with, with Dice, I mean, it's funny. I, you know, I did a series long ago called Hits. Uh, H-I-T-Z, uh, that nobody's ever heard of, and I think nine people saw. It was on UPN in 1996, and it was starring Andrew Dice Clay. Uh, and we did 23 episodes. Dice and I became immediate friends, uh, very unlikely pals. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's Dice, and I'm like <laughs> this, this, you know, this kid, this waspy kid from Brentwood. Uh, and we, we just, like... We totally hit it off and became became friends. Um, had a great friendship, and then uh, you know, as as things happen, you know, over the years, like he went through a divorce, moved back to Vegas. We sort of fell out of touch with each other, and we hadn't seen each other in a while. We kind of stayed in touch uh, off and on, but but I hadn't seen him in about five years. And then when Dice was on, and I uh, I'd heard about this role, uh, I called my I called my manager and I said if uh, I said, see if you can get me an offer for this. I said, I don't want to, I don't want to go in and read for it because I want to, I don't want to, I want to, so I don't want to spoil the, so I want to spoil the surprise. And I, I had my manager called Dice's manager and their friends. And, uh, and the manager asked Dice and said, Hey, what about Spencer Garrett? And Dice was like, perfect, done. That's my guy. So, uh, you know, they, they ended up offering it to me and I walked onto the set and I knocked on his trailer and we hadn't seen each other about five, six years. And it was like no time had passed at all. He's just the best guy. I, I love, I love his company. I love being around him. I think he's a, a terrific actor. Uh, it is a very underrated show. And it, so it was fun. It was fun to get to play that one day with, uh, with him and Ron Livingston, who's, who's also a, a wonderful actor and an old friend. So, uh, Dice is very, very much not like what you see on, on screen. He's a very, very sweet, humble, uh, dedicated father, um, really, really good guy. So that was a real treat to be able to reunite with him. And any chance I get to do comedy is, you know, is a blessing. It's funny because, you know, that, I think, was that movie Hits? Was that with uh, the, Rob, uh, the Cullen brothers? They, were they involved in that? Uh, the Col- yeah, exactly. The Cullen yeah. Brothers, yeah. And it's funny because, you know, they're, you know, they've written, they're, they're, they write comedy, they go back and forth. What happened? I mean, you did the comedy. Was there a reason why you went away from it? I mean, industry dictates what people do, but did you ever sit there and go, you know, did you, were you interested in comedy? And then just the other, these other roles Absolutely. came up? Absolutely. I never, I never, I never went away from it. I never went away from comedy by choice. I just, 
I think I think I've got to be more known for you know the the, the more serious dramatic roles. Uh, and every once in a while, but you know, every once in a while, when somebody asks me asks me to do a comedy, it's it's something that's really just wonderful and substantial and fun, like you know, like Dice. I mean, my, the, my favorite role I've ever done, hands down, of all time, is a movie called Lovely and Amazing, directed by Nicole Holof Center with uh, with Catherine Keener, and I I played this very prancy, swishy German guy. Uh, you know, who sort of talked like this, and he had a very funny accent, and you know, like I got to play and you know be silly, and and uh, I, you know, and I I never get to do that. So uh, so whenever I get a chance to do something that's just really off the rails, and you know, and, and have fun with it, uh, that's the best. So yeah, I mean, I uh, listen, I I love comedy. I'd love to do more of them, but uh, you know, they just uh, I I think I kind of got put in this box of uh, of. Uh, you know, being the senator, the lawyer, the doctor. Um, so those guys aren't too funny. But uh, if that's if that's how they want to hire me, then I'm I'm not going to complain. But I'd love to do a comedy anytime. What was it like playing Senator Joe McCarthy on Timeless? Was that what was that like? That was weird because I got the call on a Monday, and I was on. A, I got the offer on a Monday. I was on a plane to Vancouver on Tuesday, and I was on set on Wednesday. I had very little time. First of all, I looked sound nothing like Joe McCarthy at all. Um, so, I mean, I had very little time to do any kind of research. Um, and, you know, I got up there and I got between the time I got the call and the time I got to Vancouver, I got very sick. Uh, I got a really bad cold and I flew with the cold and that turned into the, and that turned into a flu. Uh, so I was working two days later after getting the call sick. It was freezing cold in Vancouver I was really feeling like I was really out of my depth, um, so that was a, that was a tough one. I was a little out of my body when I was when I was shooting that. So when I finally saw the finished product, um, you know, he had very kind of sunken eyes and you know, and heavy face, and you know, he was bald. I mean, physically, we could not be more different, but I certainly felt like I looked like him. Uh, that day because I, I just felt like total shit. And when we shot the scene, uh, you know, I was kind of like, I, I felt like I, I, I managed to crawl into that guy's skin for the few hours that we shot it. And uh, it actually turned out all right. Uh, I was actually kind of pleased with the way it turned out. As, as horrible as I was feeling, I think my, my uh, the, 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 the fact that I was feeling so lousy kind of imbued McCarthy with a kind of a, uh, an, an extra layer of rottenness. So it kind of worked out. Now, the one thing that fascinates me about your career is, and I talked about this with you the last time you were on a show, is you're someone who will recur on a bunch of shows at one time, which, yeah. is, which is amazing as an actor. It must be great. But like, like with Survivor's Remorse, did you go in knowing that be recurring, or did you just go in and you thought it might be a one and done? I mean, how did that happen? No, that I thought show? it was going to be, uh, yeah, I thought it was going to be one one shot. Mike O'Malley, the, the guy who created the show, is a wonderful actor, wonderful writer, and uh, and I think it was just supposed to be a one, uh, one shot deal, uh, as their lawyer. Uh, and it turned into, I think like six episodes of the first season and five, the second season. And, and once I found the voice of that guy of Beckwith, the writers started writing for him more and better. And, uh, so I got to really, there, there are a couple of things, a couple of scenes, uh, a couple of episodes with, with him where I just really got to got to play. I mean, there's some really just delicious writing for Beckwith. So that was really, that turned into 
one. I only did one seat, one uh, uh, one episode, uh, the last episode of this current season, uh, because they just there just was no there just was no room for Beckwith in the storyline that was going on. So if they do get picked up for a fourth season, I'm hoping to come back for more of those because I love playing that guy. He's, you know, talk about comedy. I mean, he's he's a he's a real character, but he's, he's it's a it's a comedic role to me. So. Uh, so the more the more chances I get to do that guy, that's that's just uh, he's a blast. As an actor, that must be a testament to your skill because I know everyone gets down, and we always get you know. I mean, I'm sure actors, you guys go through peaks and valleys, and any profession does that. We see athletes going to slumps, and you know, sometimes I'll sit there and I'll do an interview, and I'm like, oh god, that was I was off, I was off counter, you know, I was off, not right. But as an actor, that must be a great testament for your confidence too, not that you lack confidence, but it must be great when you sit there and have a role and you see that they start developing it more. That must make you feel great inside. It does. It really does. I mean, even with, uh, even with the character of, uh, uh, Banyan on Aquarius, I mean, I didn't know how many of those I was going to do. Uh, and I didn't know that he was even going to come back for the second season. And at the end of the first season, when, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know how many of your listeners, saw the show but at the end of the first season it looks like he's shot and killed um and that's the end of him and so i was really thrilled and really pleased when they told me that the second season you know not only is he coming back but the first time you see him you know he's in this full neck brace and you know i thought i thought uh you know if i get to do the entire second season where i'm lying in bed uh with a neck brace that you know what a what an interesting challenge that would be as well. Uh, I mean, I, I, I still ended up being in a wheelchair and, and you know completely uh, uh, paralyzed. So that was a you know it's a terrific challenge. So and an, and an unexpected one. I, I didn't expect to be coming back for the second season. So uh, so the fact that they brought me back and gave me an extra set of challenges to play was was uh, was fantastic. Now you've done a lot of network and then you've done you know like the USA and now you were on Bosch. Which is on Amazon, which uh, is a, is a really good show, and that's that's got a gritty a gritty feel to it. You know, it, it's not the alluring. You know, it doesn't look you know like a, a network vision show, and the material's gritty yeah. and it's just good. And I mean, you know, and you know, you're, you're friends with I know Titus Welliver, and uh, what was that like getting on the show? And what's it like when you when you are cast in a show with a friend of yours? Is that sort of weird? Oh, because the best. It's the best. It's the best. I mean, he's he's one of my best pals. Uh, for 25 years, we go back, and you know, we're we're journeymen. We're journeymen. Uh, you know, we're, we're we're grinders. We're character guys. We're we're you know we're uh, 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 we're, we're you know we're guys that have been humping up the hill for a long time. Uh, you know, grinding out uh, character roles and guest spots from here. You know, this show and that show. And Titus was the same way. And he was uh, you know he was somebody who you know, did a, had a, a very substantial body of work and then he got married and kind of stopped acting for a while. And then he wanted to get back in the game. And when he got back in the game, it was like, uh, he, he was like a different person. And all of a sudden he just went from talk about recurring. I mean, he was recurring, I think on one point at like five different shows. Uh, so that's a, that's a guy who has paid his dues and then some, and I, I love, I love the story of any actor who, has been around forever and is recognized for their great body of work and they get to be number one on the call sheet. Um, you know, so getting to work with my old pal, 
uh, on Bosch on a show that he is so he so imbues that character. He's the he's the essence of Harry Bosch. I mean, they could not have cast that role better. And um, so when I when I got a chance to work with him on on our on our first day together, it was just like, can we believe we're you know can you believe we're still doing this? Can you believe we're you know how we're a couple of lucky bastards when we you know we finally it was the first time we've ever gotten to work with each other too. We'd never been on the same show at the same time, so it was really uh, it was very really cool. And I you know when we see each other, we still you know it's a fond memory because. Uh, we, even though we only had the one, the one scene together in the first episode of season three, uh, you know, just to be able to be on set and be around each other and all that, it's just, uh, it's really, it's really a joy. I wish I had my, my only regret about that gig is that, uh, I didn't have more scenes with him, that we didn't have a, a chance to really uh, get into it with each other. Cause, uh, uh, you know, that, that would have been fun, but, uh, but we had, we had a good day together and, and, you know, it's always fun working with your friends. Now, what was your character? It was Fox. Now, what was? How did the character play out in the season? Was it what you liked, and did you also know it'd be more than one episode? Uh, yeah, no, I did. I did seven of the nine episodes. I did almost the whole season, and uh, I mean, Fox was this sort of very kind of pretentious, entitled, uh, very smart, but uh, kind of snaky, not terribly principled uh, uh, defense lawyer. Uh, and I was, uh, I was defending the, uh, in season three, uh, for those of you that saw it, I was defending, uh, John Ailes's character. John Ailes was a, a, a director who was accused of killing a girl and I was his defense attorney. And, you know, I was just kind of the defense attorney that would just, you know, go to any lengths to, to, you know, to get his client off. And, and, uh, so, you know, they, again, uh, just great, great writing, you know, uh, Eric Overmeyer and, and that team of writers on that show. Uh, they just, they, they, they got me and they, uh, they knew how to dress me. They know how to, they knew how to write for me. And so, so every time I had a, uh, every time I had a scene, the words came out of my mouth just trippingly off the tongue. I mean, I've played lots of lawyers. I've played lots of sort of morally challenged, ethically bankrupt dudes in my, in my career. But that guy was really just delicious to play. It was really, really a lot of fun. So. Uh, I think he might even be back for uh, a little bit in season four that they're shooting now. I'm not sure, but uh, there's there's some rumblings about that, so that would be fun to do. And John Ailes has the best mustache in Hollywood. I mean, that's and, he's the best. He's the best. The best facial hair of any actor in, it, in, in the business. It's no amazing. question. Now, I, I always, whenever I run into him, I, I always, I, I always tease him because because he's looking more and more like Elliot Gould from Mash yes. as he gets older, and, and he's he's such a terrific actor. He's back. Uh, uh, he's back east. He's doing something that he always works. He's just a great, just a great, great character. Now he's on Better Things right now with Pamela Adlon, and um, he he never stops working. But uh, it's uh, I, I I always tease him. I say I'm going to give you a run for your money. I'm going to grow a I'm going to grow a mustache and a beard so I can so I can compete with you. But then every time I try to grow a mustache and beard, I look like an elf. So it doesn't really work. <laughs> now, now, as an actor, do you get excited when you 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 know you're going to Amazon? You're going to something where you don't, you know, the dialogue can go anywhere. There's no constriction. You know, I mean, we know networks, TVs, you know, you have constrictions. You can't say certain things. And you said Aquarius might have been yeah. too dark. And Aquarius was, to me, was, and I loved it. It was darker than most TV shows. And that's why I loved it because that's why I don't like a lot of these network shows because where they're good, they're sugar-coated. You don't get, you know, you don't get that edge. As an actor, are you excited when, like, with Amazon, when they say, Bosh, you're going on, and you know it's going to be 
you know, in the in your face, there's going to be no pull, uh, pull, punches pulled. Well, they let you mean you, you were saying you make the ability to let us like curse and things like that. Yeah, just something where it's more realistic. You know, you don't you don't really have to sit there and yes, second, yes, second I mean, the dialogue in Aquarius was like that. Uh, they, uh, you know, they released it. It, it. it aired on NBC, but I think the unedited version is actually on Netflix. So the grittier, nastier, dirtier version of the dialogue that we had on Aquarius is actually on. Uh, uh, is on Netflix, and the more kind of edited down version is the version that aired on uh, uh, on NBC. But uh, yeah, I mean it's it's always it's always more fun and more interesting when you get to when you get to talk the way people actually talk, you know. And now, how was how was shooting Insecure? Because that was an HBO show, and that must have been something. You know, it's a younger cast for you. I'm guessing. It was. I was a show that I actually was not even aware of. Sad to say, I, I wasn't. I wasn't get to it. And then when I got the offer for that, I I watched a couple of episodes, and I was like, "Wow, this is fabulous!" And I just watched one and two, and then I ended up watching. I ended up watching the whole first season, just one right after the other. I just got into it so much, and I thought, "Wow, what a cool thing to be a part of!" So when I showed up on the set, I mean, it it, it really kind of already after the first season kind of reached a sort of iconic status and I just it hadn't it hadn't flown by my radar yet. I've got there's I've got so many things in my queue already, um, so many things that I have yet to catch up on. I still haven't seen an episode of Game of Thrones, believe it or not. It's like it's in my queue. I'm way behind on so much. So Insecure was not on my radar and when I watched it I was like, how the fuck did I miss out on this show? This is amazing. So when I was working on that show I did like six or seven of those. Uh, and that was a blast to be a part of because that's just a crazy, crazy talented bunch of people. Just so, so talented and so, and so diverse. And I love the fact that they, uh, when I showed up on set, the first thing that I noticed was that, uh, they hire, they just hire lots of women. Like all of the, like the, there's women behind the camera, there's women on the crew. Uh, it's very, very diverse, uh, crew and, um, you know, giving a lot of opportunities to, uh, a lot of people that, uh, that deserve it, you know. So that's it's uh, they they really they really look out for their own and, and it's uh, it's a good thing to be a part of. Now the front runner, you know, you you went back to shooting the movie. What's the difference do you see between shooting TV and movies these days? Is there a big difference, or is it something? I've talked to some people who had said, you know, well, movies you know take longer, and then TV you know it's a lot more edited. What's the difference when you go from different sets? I mean, TV is, you know, I, I did, uh, I just did two shows back to back. I just did uh, Lethal Weapon and Code Black, like one right after the other. Uh, I finished Lethal Weapon, and then a week later, I was on Code Black. You know, you get the you get the offer for the gig, or you or you know, you audition, you get the offer, and and you get the job. You know, you jump into your costume and you're on set. You have no time to rehearse, really. You just kind of like show up and do it. Um, so with with movies. Sometimes, if you're lucky, you have the luxury of, uh, of being able to, uh, you know, of being able to rehearse and uh, and have a little time to to play around and explore before you actually put the thing on film. I mean, with television, really, like I said, with you know, with the Joe McCarthy thing, with Timeless. I mean, I got the gig and I was on an airplane the next day and shooting the day after that. You know, which is sometimes, for the most part, the way it happens. But with movies, at least. Uh, you know, it, the front writer is a massive cast. It's a huge cast of people and character people, and there's probably 
I don't know, 60 speaking roles or something. So uh, they had a huge table reading, and then I think they had a couple of days of rehearsal, uh, which I was not able to be a part of because I was working on something else. Um, so I got to Atlanta, and the scene, the very first thing I had was with Hugh Jackman, and it was a very, very complicated setup uh, that took place in this restaurant in Trader Vic's, and there was different tables filled with people uh, that Jason was covering, and uh, Jason Reitman, the director, and then you, 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 the camera sort of pans around all these tables, and then you get to me and Hugh Jackman at the bar. It was a very, uh, very intricately choreographed thing. So we had a chance to rehearse that. I got to spend some time with Hugh and, and you know, run it through several times. So, you know, that's the, that's the kind of the luxury of film is that you have a little bit more time to rehearse. Um, but not always, but, uh, you know, it, usually with movies, you get you get time to kind of break things down and figure out, uh, you know, figure out where you're going to go. But with TV, you don't. And um, it's just uh, it's a, a lot faster process. Now, do you think and I had a guest tell me this, that they think some that you guys have been acting for a long time. You know, you come up through the trenches. You came up when it was, you know, cut and stuff like that. Do you think because right now it, you can cut scenes so fast and the way it's digital the, sh- the scenes don't have to play out, a lot, play out as long. Do you think that hurts a young actor because they don't really have to sit there and really get their chops up like they used to? Well, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I know what you what you mean. Well, because now it's something where if if you know you know TV, you can you can cut and cut and cut. It used to be where you had to yeah, run, yeah. you had to run the scene for a while, and it couldn't be you know it couldn't be so easily pieced together per se. Do you think that that hurts that, you know, the, the actors don't really, some younger actors don't concentrate on just really running I, I, their I craft? I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I think, I think that, uh, listen, I think, I think, uh, you know, I, I, my criticism of a lot of young actors that are coming up today, and I don't mean to sound like an old fogey because I'm not, but a lot of young actors that are coming up today just don't have the training. They're just not, they're just not trained. You know, they get hired because of the way they look. Uh, or because they had, you know, a certain number of hits on their, you know, on their YouTube channel or, you know, I mean, people are getting, you know, people were getting, uh, uh, development deals, you know, off of their, off of their, uh, Vine thing, which I don't even think is a thing anymore. But, um, you know, people become, people become stars off the internet, you know, in Instagram. I mean, Instagram models get, get television shows now. Uh, that's not the way I, came up doing it you know i mean you put your dues in you did your work uh you studied you 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 learned from the greats and from the masters and you had a sense of history of you know of uh of the, of the history of the business and the history of the of theater and film and you know nowadays people want it they want it so fast and um so it's it can be frustrating to see uh you know i can i can i can spot talent from you know 50 miles away and i can spot you know, somebody who's not talented from for 50 miles away. Uh, you know, it's uh, the, the the people that are coming up today. People want to. Uh, there's kind of a, a star factory, and they turn these kids into into stars, and and the business can chew you up and spit you out. You know, just as quickly. Uh, if you don't have the chops and you don't have the training, um, it's going to be a tough road. Now, I always wanted to ask an actor, someone like you, and I have asked actors, and I always wonders. You know, you, you've gotten to work with such great material and great people. Has there ever, and we won't mention any projects, but has there ever been a project where you, you got hired, you went on set, and 
whether it changed or whether the writing just sucked. And how as an actor do you attack that? Because you have – that's your job. You're, you can't help it if, if it's bad material. You Sometimes you don't know. How does an actor adjust to that? You know, when you sit there and you go, oh, my God, I can't believe I have to read this line. It's so stupid. What do you do as an actor to try to sell that more? I mean, the first thing you do before trying to sell something that you don't think would fit coming out of your mouth, uh, before you try to sell it, you know, you talk to the director or you talk to the writer. Most, most times the writers are on set these days. So you talk to the writer and say, hey, listen, can we make an adjustment here? Can I, can I try this? Can I try this this way? Can I try it a different way? Can I add this? Can I add a word here? I mean, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a writer's and director's medium. And, you know, right now I think the writer is really king. I mean, there's so many beautifully written shows. Um, so, you know, that's why you, that's why you see the writers on the sets all the time. So, you know, the writer's right there and you can turn to him and say, Hey, can I try this this way? Um, and a lot of people, I mean, in the case of Mad Men, for example, uh, the, the words had to be spoken exactly as written on the page. Um, that's the way Matt Weiner wanted them to be read and spoken and acted, and that was, that was the way it was. There wasn't a lot of wiggle room. Uh, sometimes you do have a little wiggle room, and if you're able to kind of, uh, you know, be, talk to the writer and, 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 and figure out another way to do it that might that you could sell the line a little bit better. Um, it's not always the case. It doesn't always work. But uh, if if you're able to convince them that hey maybe maybe I can try this this way, I might be able to uh, you know flip a word or two here or there you know to make it sound a little bit better. Um, you know without you know you don't want to you don't want to offend the writer because it's their words and it's their hard work. But uh, sometimes sometimes you have to do it. And then in the case of, you know, I did a movie in Turkey many, many years ago with Cassie and Billy Zane, and I, I, we shot the movie, and the movie came out, and the, they had changed the storyline around so drastically after the movie. Like the movie that came out was not the movie that I signed on for, um, which would, uh, was, was kind of the, the, the worst-case scenario of that, where you go in, uh, you know, saying the writer's words, thinking that you're making one kind of movie, and then the way they cut and edited it, uh, it turns out to be a completely different kind of movie. Um, and uh, kind of an embarrassing, it was kind of an embarrassing, that's really the one, the one time that's only happened to me, but that movie, that, that, that movie came out, uh, and it's, it's a, it's a movie that I, that I wish it never had. Other than, other than getting a wonderful free trip to Turkey. Right. Um, they, they ended up they ended up flipping the storyline around. It, it ended up turning into a very anti-American uh, kind of spin. The way this movie was 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 recut and edited that made the American actors look bad, um, and we didn't really have any control over that. So that was a bummer. But that's a that's a that's a different different thing than what you're asking. But you know sometimes you just don't have any control at all. Uh, you know once once you're done and the movie's in the can, you're, you're on to the next job. Yeah, you don't know you don't know how the movie's going to turn out. Well, that's awesome, man. You know, I, I want to thank you for taking your time to uh, come on today. Now, now the Code Black's coming up, and that's coming up probably in a yeah. few weeks. And then Lethal Weapon is... Uh, Lethal Weapon will be out probably in about a week or two, and then Code Black probably two weeks after that, something like that, yeah. Because my girlfriend uh, records uh, Lethal Weapon, so I have her say, when she sees the credits, when she sees her name, I have her call into me so I can go watch it. Now, any any other any, nice. other, any other episodics coming up, or do, do offers just come in? Uh, those those two, and then uh, uh, you know, and then I'll be finishing the front runner, the Hugh Jackman thing, uh, at the end of October. But I'm in the 
right now I'm in the midst of, I got kind of a fun project uh, that I'm producing. I'm doing a podcast um, based on a, a script of a, a wonderful writer. Uh, it's a political script called America 2.0, and we, we go into production in uh, at the end of the month, and we have Lawrence Fishburne and Ming Na and Mary Louise Parker. Uh, we almost have it uh, entirely cast up, and so I'll just I'll kind of leave it as a little teaser for that, but we've got a phenomenal cast, uh, and it's kind of a White House, kind of a West Wing. It's our, our spin on, on the West Wing and politics today, and I, I think people are going to really dig it. And that's going to be a, that's gonna be um, a, a lot pod- of really amazing podcasts out there, and this is going to be uh, this is going to be a fantastic show. Because there's going to be a podcast. It's only going to be uh, audio, and uh, where where would you be playing it? You know, uh, it's I mean it's going to be playing on where where wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, um, you know it'll it'll be it'll be it'll be online, um, and then you can download it on iTunes. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a uh, uh, there's several. There was a show. There was a podcast. Uh, that was done last year uh, that now has been picked up to series starring Julia Roberts. Um, and, um, you know, there's there's uh, several several podcasts that are, like, hugely popular, one called Serial, one called uh, S-Town, uh, one called Intervention, um, and they're, uh, they're, they're, they're I, I just got hit to them about a year ago, and they're fascinating. We've got a really brilliant writer writing this uh, this series for us, America 2.0, and we've got Lawrence Fishburne playing the president, uh, and uh, and I have a role in it, and we've just got some terrific actors. So so stay tuned for that; it's going to be really good. Well, that's awesome. Now, now your Twitter is—I know you—are you still tweeting a lot? Where are you? I'm tweet. I'm tweeting a lot. I'm trying to stay out of politics as much as I can, but I'm I'm uh, I'm still on the Twitters. I'm at number one Spencer Garrett, and on Instagram at Spencer Garrett number one. All right. Well, so, I wanna... uh, so find me. Find me out there. Cool. I want to thank you for coming on. So people, please follow him and go to IMDb. Look up Spencer Carrick. Go watch his work because he's a tremendous actor. And watch Aquarius. His role is very dark. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have about 645 episodes up there. You can email me, cooper, at coopertalk.net. And also my other website, stopthesalt.com. When I had that health problem, I wrote the cookbook. It's 120 low-sodium recipes. They're all easy to make. No pictures to intimidate you. No long list of ingredients to freak you out. So go to that. You can get it at amazon.com. But if you get it at stopthesalt.com, I make more money, and I'll sign the book for you. So check out Spencer Garrett. Follow me on Twitter, at Cooper Talk. I'm Steve Cooper, I'm only. Hip is my guest. Cooper Talk's been presented by Walk My Mind, and I'll talk to you next week.